Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Today we are starting a new short mini-series called Healed, Healthy, and Whole. In between Christmas and Easter, we're walking through the life of Jesus from his birth to his death. But we're going to take the month of February the cold, short month of February, uh, to do some really important work. Uh, Jesus has redeemed us. He has healed us. We want to live into how that enables us, empowers us to live differently. So we've got some, uh, a couple of great weeks coming up. Um, we're going to talk about how we deal with stress and uh, exhaustion, technology, uh, living into our, our purpose, just some really good relational and emotional stuff, not just trying harder. Letting God empower us to live better, wholer lives. We should be doing well at these things, guys. Like with stress or a- anxiety, we should have extra tools, extra resources to re- from Jesus to live differently in this. So today, I'm going to start us off by talking about happiness, about joy. Because I think that we have a happiness deficit. Many of us are not truly happy, and that can lead to some problems. I think about with my kids. If they really, like, act out, I know there's some hurt, there's some frustration, there's some disappointment, there's some unhappiness, some reason behind it. It's the same way with us. Many of us are searching for happiness in the wrong places. There's the, the spiritual maxim, we sin, we go in the wrong direction, because we believe a lie about what's going to lead us into happiness. We're in such a rich, rich country. I think we have a poverty of real joy, of real happiness. There's a connection between happiness and holiness. If we are deeply content, deeply satisfied with good things, that's going to lead us into good living, into right living. But there's the truth of the world that there is much out there to be very unhappy about. So how do we deal with all this? How do we reconcile this? How do we live live lives that are peace-filled and content? Just as we start this morning, how's your happiness level? If you're sitting at home in in your uh, living room, wherever you're at, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how happy are you? Now, just so I, I don't get too caught up on, on terms, on terminology, but in general, I'd say happiness is a self-defined state of uh, general well-being or contentment. You're at peace. You're, you're, you're content, um, and it's a general sense um, as defined for you. Joy, I think, is a deep gladness or like a deep satisfaction with how, how life is. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, What's your happiness or joy number this morning? If you have that number, um, today we're going to talk about how we find actual joy in Jesus, despite everything going on around us, actual joy that lasts and that makes us better people. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that in every part of our life we find you. Thank you, Jesus, that in happiness we find you. Thank you that in sorrow and sadness we find you. Thank you that this morning you're here waiting for us, calling us in, calling us out into your presence. As we turn our attention to your word, we just submit to your word this morning. 
Thank you for the words of truth and life you give us in Scripture, Jesus. Would you form our hearts and shape us in your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to be in John chapter 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said to them, In a little while you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that you will see me again. Some of the disciples asked each other, What does he mean when he says, In a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me again, and I'm going to the Father? And what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand. If there are things that Jesus says that you don't understand, get used to it. It's been that way for a while. But Jesus wants us to understand. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said, in a little while you won't see me. But a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. No one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you ask using my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. The word of the Lord. Jesus says, he knows, he's facing suffering head on. He says, you will, re, you will weep and you will be sad and deep of sorrow. And then it, my resurrection will change everything. Equating it to a woman giving birth, it is not a, a happy experience to be in, in labor pains. But then you have the new baby, and it gives way to something much better than, than comfort and, and uh, lack of pain. It gives way to joy. It gives way to joy. Um, and when Jesus is resurrected, that leads us into a new place, a, a new place of relationship with God the Father, where we can ask him directly, we can communicate with him directly using his name, and we will have abundant joy. You know, friends, as I think about joy, joy without Jesus is wishful thinking. Joy without Jesus is, is wishful thinking. We have a gospel of joy. We have a gospel that is the cross and the resurrection, the core of our faith. What it really means to, the, all, what we believe in is the cross and the resurrection. But it's a gospel of joy, and that joy results from what God has done for us. Again and again in Scripture, we see joy as a result of God doing stuff, God breaking and God changing things. You know, he leads the, the Israelites out of slavery in G Egypt, out of oppression under Pharaoh, parting the Red Sea. They, they get to the other side of the Red Sea. They rejoice. They throw a big party. Yay, look what God has done. Jesus is resurrected. The disciples rejoice. 
In the book of Acts, the early Christians, you know, they're, they're being persecuted and, and, you know, God de- delivers them. They have joy even in prison because of what God has done. We have joy because of what God has done for us. But it's a gospel of joy through suffering. And friends, many of us are suffering. Many of us have gone through real suffering. I read a book on uh, joy co-authored by the uh, Dalai Lama and um, Bishop Desmond Tutu. Very, very interesting. Um, both men have gone through a, a lot in life um, and seem to be very resilient uh, individuals. I said, okay, what, what do these guys have to say about joy? Half the book was about suffering. Because there is actually a, a connection between suffering and joy. If we're to have an integrated joy that's not just focusing on the good part, focusing on the good half, that's, that's optimism. Optimism is better than pessimism, but it only looks at, at a part. If we're going to have integrated joy, we have to also look at uh, uh, suffering. Hanser's von Balthasar, the uh, Christ, early Christian father, says, Truth is a symphony. It's a symphony. You've got, it's complex and interwoven. The philosopher Hegel said, Truth is whole. There's a completeness, not a partiality about truth. The same is true of life. Life is a symphony. Got high notes and, and low notes. It's complex. Life is a whole. It's complete, not partial. There is joy and there is suffering. You know, there, there are many metaphors of this. I think if you've, if you've heard the phrase, people are like trucks, they drive better with some weight in the back. Uh, when we were first married, Stephen and I, he had a Jeep. And uh, we'd been married for about three weeks, and there's this freak snowstorm out of nowhere. And uh, so we're, we're driving, and Stephen is not going straight. I'm like, just, just go straight. If you, do, you don't overcorrect, I'm like, I can't believe he has no idea how to drive. And so I'm like, how about... How about you give me a go at this thing? You know, I grew up driving to Vermont, and I like, I, I can handle it. I get in the driver's seat, start going straight, you know, like you're supposed to. And the car, the back just floats out. And I turn, okay, I recorrect. Garage straight, the back just floats. It needed some weight in the back. People are like trucks. We drive better with some weight in the back. A little responsibility, you know, is good for us. Having some weight actually expands us. I think about it spiritually, my soul, kind of like a, um, a laundry hamper, but not just any laundry hamper. You know the laundry hampers you get for college dorms that like fold up and pack up all, all compact, and then you shake out, and you put stuff in, and it expands. You put all your dirty clothes in, and it keeps expanding. Our hearts, our souls are like that. They expand with some weight. They expand when we go through hard things together. You know, again, uh, my husband, I'm not going to talk about home also, I mean, but like, we, we liked each other when we first met each other. I wouldn't say it was love at first sight, but I would say it was like at first sight. You know, I ain't dumb. There aren't that many cute Christian boys around. We were both almost 30. I liked him. But did we love each other? until we'd been through some arguments? Did we love each other until we'd been through some things? You know, did he love me and did I love him until I'd shown him my bad side? 
did we love each other until we'd moved, you know, far away to a city, a new place where we were both lonely. Going through things, a little weight expands our, our souls. You know, our, our gospel is the cross and the, and the resurrection. There's love and, and pain. There's, there's joy and, and sorrow. And this is the opportunity of life in Jesus to deal with this spiritually and concretely. And this is very different from like yin and yang or just like balancing things out. It's about what Jesus has done concretely in human history to redeem and reconcile suffering and bring us into a new place in the power of what God has done. So let's look a little bit at how this plays out in real life. What does this look like in real life? Well, sometimes you'll hear the phrase, you know, don't be sad, you know, don't be sad. That is like the worst advice ever. Like, don't be sad. Oh, thanks. Now I feel totally happy because you told me to not be sad. But at the same time, being sad doesn't always help. Being morose is, is not, does not improve things. Don't be sad. Be soft. Be soft. I think that's good advice to live into uh, the, the cross and the, the resurrection, to live into what Jesus has done. What helps is being soft, being compassionate, being moldable, suffering in community. As the Bible says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. We want to actually cry more and laugh more. You know, my mother, she cried a lot. And I don't mind saying this because she's been here a couple times. I think she has cried every single time she has been here. And I said, uh-uh, no, I'm, I'm never going to cry like that. And I've had to learn to let myself cry. And I think my tears are actually very powerful. We know crying is, you know, healing and, you know, it can be therapeutic. But I think there's a spiritual power, actually, in my, my tears. I've had to, I've had to learn to, to do that. You know, don't be sad just seeks to erase uncomfortable emotions or, or undesirable emotions. We actually want to dig through that. We want to complete the circle. Instead of just truncating, we're sad and then we're just going to eat some ice cream and just make us, we want to dig through, deal with it, complete the circle. Sorrow is, is strong and, and compassionate. If we don't ever sorrow, we're, we're weak and, and superficial. We want to be soft. We, we want to be caring, moved, open. We want to cry more and laugh more. The other way I think it plays out, you know, you sometimes hear the phrase, it could be worse. Like, think about everyone else who has it worse. It could be worse. Thank you for telling me when I'm unhappy that instead of being just plain unhappy, I could be desperately miserable. It could be worse. We don't want to compare and, and contrast pain. What we want to do, actually, is have some unity, have some uh, solidarity as we go through these things. Well, what helps is compassion, unity, uh, depth of unity in suffering that, that tethers us to other people and actually does pull us up. So um, our, our youngest um, actually was like exposed to COVID at school. And then she, you know, so we've actually experienced the, uh, 
sickness of the century. We, we pulled through it j- just fine. We all have our COVID story now, and we can reminisce on, on this, uh, hopefully when this is uh, in, in the past. But she was exposed. So, okay, take her off, get the test. Totally fine. No symptoms, but she's contagious and has to stay home from school. This is a little boring, and she's, you know, active and energetic, loves school, does not enjoy being home when she feels fine. Did I say to her, well, honey, just be glad that, you know, you don't have this sickness or that sickness. It could be so much worse. No, that's not going to be helpful. But what we did talk about a couple of times that was actually very helpful was, well, how about so-and-so in your class? I mean, half the class was out, you know, sick. Um, How about so-and-so in the class? How do you think she's doing? Oh, and then, you know, thinking about other kids or, you know, thinking about a couple of folks who we do know who have gotten it. And thinking about these other people actually made her feel better because she felt a connection. She felt a unity. She felt a solidarity with other people that actually encouraged her not to compare or contrast, but to have some unity in this hard thing that she was going through. Bishop Desmond Tutu says, from weakness, we discover the possibility of true joy. From strength, we discover strength, and that's cool. From weakness, we discover the possibility of true joy. Joy that is not defined by good circumstances, but that comes from above and within. Good circumstances are not enough to build a good life on good circumstances will end. Joy comes from within and above And the work of Jesus makes joy an option. The work of Jesus makes joy an option, not just good circumstances. They are, of course, many things that hinder our receiving Jesus' joy. Many things that, that block that. And you know, some of us, Joy is not an all, or happiness is not something that we live with all at the same point in time. Some of us struggle with, with things. Some of us are going through difficult, difficult times that will not be our most joyful times. Jesus doesn't require us to be happy. And Jesus offers us deeper sources of joy, continuing throughout the ups and downs of life. But in our American culture, in this particular uh, millennia and milieu of uh, technology and consumerism, I think one of the things that really does hinder our joy is seeking pleasure. Um, We are admonished again and again in Scripture to enjoy the good things in life. God wants us to enjoy the world he has created, but we are constantly warned against seeking pleasure. Seeking pleasure is different. So, Let's do a little exercise. Think of five things that make you truly happy. Five things that make you truly happy. It could be art, creating things, um, getting outside, nature, um, being with people, sunshine. What is it for you? Five things that make you truly happy. You know, knowing what makes you happy is a really good thing to really know. For some of us, it's being with, you know, pets, reading a good book, a conversation, nice cup of coffee, things that give us contentment and and peace that are deeply satisfying to us. 
you have those five things. Now, think about five things that you seek out to bring you pleasure. Now, pleasure, there's a graspingness, there's a temporariness about pleasure. It's here and then it's gone. There's a self-serving closedness about pleasure. So food, it's here and then it's gone. Technology, here and then it's gone. I'm spending money. Um, You know, Milford, there are so many Amazon trucks. I saw five the other day that said, contents may cause happiness. Our contents may cause joy. I was like, that's wrong, right? We don't, this is the, it's pleasure. Um, and maybe, in, maybe you're ordering great things from Amazon that actually do make, make you truly happy. But buying stuff does not give us that contentment with God's good uh, creation that we want. We want to enjoy the good things that God has given us, not grasping onto them too tightly. And you know, it's just, it's really good to actually develop disciplines of doing what makes you truly happy. And it actually requires a little bit of discipline in today's society to actually do what makes you happy instead of just to pursue quick, temporary pleasure. And then the next thing, and guys, this is not hard to say, but I think it has been hard to learn. Happiness does not just happen. Happiness does not just happen to us. We have to actually exert some effort, exert some some discipline to pursue what's peace-filled and contenting um, for us. I have told a couple of you this because it was the happiest moment of my winter so far. Um, My sister uh, surprised us, drove overnight from Chicago to arrive Christmas morning in time for breakfast in Connecticut. Amazing surprise. We were so happy together. She wasn't going to come out from Chicago because plane tickets and COVID and they're very busy, but then they finished all their work. And on Christmas Eve, they were sitting around for, for lunch with their four young children, four months old, three years. Yeah. Um, and they're like, you know what? It will be difficult to drive all the way from Chicago to Connecticut you know what? We're going to be so happy if we do. And they packed up the kids and drove overnight, took turns. I'm not sure I would have done. I think that might have been a little bit too high of a price tag for me to pay. But they did it. And man, we were so happy. The kids were so happy together. We just hung out. We had breakfast, lunch, and dinner together. Just enjoyed uh, such great family time together. She said, what's truly going to make me happy? And then she expended a lot of energy and gas money to make that happen. Uh, There's an author who's really interesting on this. Um, Arthur Brooks has done a lot of research, and uh, he's researched every country, uh, a culture, cutting across socioeconomic lines. And he discovered um, that really across uh, socioeconomic and culture lines, happiness declines from age 25 to 50. So if you're in that category, this may not be in typically the more happiest time of your life. That's okay. Declines between 25 and 50, then climbs from 50 to 65 in general. Less responsibilities, whatever it is. But at age 70, there is no pattern. At age 70, it splits in half. 
Half the population sees their mood sink. Half the population actually continues to get happier and happier as they age. Joy takes intentionality. Joy just, it, it takes intentionality. And here's the thing. All change comes from either discomfort or desire. If we change, it's either because we get really discomfort, like we, we just want got to make a change, or we want to make a change. You can get miserable enough that finally you change something. That will take a toll on you and take a toll on those around you. Or we can have hope and, and desire and expect to say, say hey, life, I, you know, I, I can change because I, I have this desire for a more joy-filled life. Desire is a better way to change. But here's the bottom line, really from all the sources that I can tell. Um, number one, joy is interior. Joy happens inside, inside us. Um, John Ortberg uh, asked Dallas Willard, two great Christian uh, leaders, he said, how do I evaluate where my soul's at? How do I evaluate, you know, how connected I am to, to Jesus? And Dallas told him, are you growing more and more easily irritated these days or less? It's about, oh, I can't believe she did this, blah, 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 or less. It's a sign of how connected we are to Jesus. Joy is interior. We want to actually listen to our bodies, do what's right for us here. And now, you know, our minds will sometimes choose what's best for us in the past or, or, or the future. Our bodies choose what's best for us in the present moment. We want to choose what benefits our, our, our soul. Will eating this piece of chocolate cake make me happier in, in half an hour? It won't. Will watching this TV show make me, you know, happier tomorrow? It, it won't. What will actually benefit me and, and satisfy me? And joy is connected to purpose. You know, if we focus on ourselves, we are destined to be unhappy. It's amazing what you can do if you have purpose, if you know the reason behind it. I do not like to do loads of laundry, but if I know the reason behind it, I can do it far more happily. Um, friends, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? I have a friend who uh, writes out her purpose on the top of her uh, agenda, her, her planner. Love my husband. Spend quality time with my kids. She has many tasks, many chores following after that. But she writes her purpose in big letters across the top of her agenda. You know, write it on your planner. You know, soccer game, homework, encourage my friends. You know, um, your purpose can be around many different things. Creativity, curiosity, uh, creating environments uh, uh, of love, caring, making a difference in the world. But when we know our purpose, we will have joy in the little jobs of life. Because ultimately, joy is something that we should have throughout the ups and downs of life because we know our purpose. We know who's in control and we can experience joy that comes within and from above. Theologian Miroslav Volf 
who has not had an easy life, says that joy is serious work. It's one of the ways we live into the kingdom of God. Joy is living into the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is alive. He's conquered. He's won everything for us. And joy is countercultural. And I think it's an act of like holy resistance. Uh, Willie James Jennings says it's holy resistance against darkness and despair. In the same way that that gratitude is holy resistance to complaint and, and dissatisfaction in a culture that, that, that says, you know, every culture, really, you know, that's not good enough. He has better than me. She's got more. We say, thank you, God. It's a very nice. I love it. You know, in the same way that generosity is holy resistance to the forces of greed. You know, we, we live in a culture that wants more and better. And now we say, I have plenty to share. Here, please, please take. And in a culture that that's, has a ton of pessimism and, and despair and a hopelessness, we say, Jesus is resurrected. We have a reason to be joyful. It's holy resistance, and it pushes back against a culture of darkness and despair. You know, the Christian faith isn't about uh, something that, that we do or, or we achieve. It's about what God has done for us. It's about receiving, not achieving. And in what Jesus has done for us, we can be receivers of joy. I do think that joy is, is a little bit of a fantasy without the completed work of Jesus on our behalf. Christ is the example, but he's also the one who enables and empowers everything for us. And Christ has bought peace and contentment and satisfaction and fulfillment for us. Joy is a response to the victorious work of God done for us that we can stand firm. We can be confident in the face of everything else around us. Romans 8, um, and let's have the worship team come on back up. Romans 8 uh, takes a good hard look at everything going on around and says, what shall we say about all these things, all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave his son for us, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us? whom God has chosen for his own. No one, for God himself, has given us right standing with himself. We have right standing with God. Who will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to new life for us, and he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, praying for us right now. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's life, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.
This is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. This is a firm foundation, not based on the shifting sands of good circumstances. We can have confidence and joy in what Jesus has done for us. Let's stand and worship together. Mm -hmm.